staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Julian Assange embarrassed virtually everyone in power in Washington. He published documents that undermined the official story on the Iraq War and Afghanistan. He got Debbie Wasserman Schultz fired from the DNC. He humiliated Hillary Clinton by showing that the Democratic primaries were, in fact, rigged. Pretty much everyone in Washington has reason to hate Julian Assange. The White House floated a proposal to release captured immigrants into sanctuary cities to send a message to Democrats. But Immigration and Customs Enforcement pushed back on concerns over liability, negative public relations, and budget issues. The Ohio governor signing today what critics condemn as the most restrictive abortion law in the country. And what supporters celebrate as a victory, one certain to be challenged in court. It's the essential function of government to protect those who cannot protect themselves. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Friday. How's that working out for you? <laughs> so, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thanks for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Guess what? We got another jam-packed show. And... It's going to be full of, well, we're going to have good discussions, but um, we're going to be chatting with someone here in the next segment, Hannah Cox, national manager of the conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Now, you know, you guys know I'm a, a supporter of the death penalty. I do think we need reform in our criminal court system to speed up the process and to use all the technology available to us to make sure that people are not wrongfully convicted or placed on death row for 20 or 30 years only to be exonerated later by DNA evidence. Now that we have that, we should see much fewer incidences of that. And so we need some reforms. But to say that we need to just toss the death penalty out, well, it doesn't reflect what poll numbers say from Americans, and it doesn't reflect uh, a a desire for a civilized and well-developed society to ensure that people who are the most heinous among us, who will kill again and again and again, Um, that they are disposed of so that the rest of us can be free from the opportunity to be killed by these people. So she's joining in. We're going to have a chat with her about her perspective as a conservative who wants to see the death penalty abolished. And we'll take your calls all this hour. I'm so excited to get to chat with you. Um, In fact, you're the guest of the second, you know, the the opportunity is yours during the whole show. Um, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So right now, we got to get to, first of all, the Ohio uh, heartbeat bill and the proposed exemption for black women that cites slavery. So this one really gets my blood boiling. And the reason is because out of all the different groups in this country, especially the groups that are demographic box groups by the Democrats, of all the groups that they could cite as being more vulnerable to this bill or what have you, they readily admit that, yeah, black women have the most abortions. And therefore, if you tell them they can't abort uh, after a certain time, you know, because descended from slaves, yeah, that means can't make good decisions, can't meet deadlines, can't do anything. So can't get voter IDs, can't, uh, can't, can't live without Democrats. Just, na- just think of all the things that the Democrats have told black people they can't do. We can't do anything without Democrats. And here we can't even... Uh, I guess, meet the six-week deadline. So you've got a state representative, and she says historical rape and forced birth 
imposed on slave women, enslaved women, is the reason why blacks should be exempted from the heartbeat bill. Janine R. Boyd, Democrat, says she needs to offer this amendment to the House committee after the Ohio Senate passed the heartbeat bill, SB 23, banning abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected. The heartbeat usually becomes detectable between six and nine weeks in pregnancy, and many women do not know they're pregnant at six weeks. So the bill advanced through the Ohio House Committee on Tuesday. It will likely be signed into law by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine if it passes the full House. The measure will not only bar women from having an abortion once a fetal heartbeat is detected, but will also fine physicians who violate the law up to $20,000. So this is a comprehensive, far-ranging attempt to rein in what has become really an alternative form of birth control, abortion. So during the hearing on the bill on Tuesday, Boyd, proposed this amendment, which would allow an exemption for black women. She says black women's history, quote, includes rape and forced birth imposed on enslaved women and black women after slavery. She also has this stuff up on her website. I consider, here's a further quote, I consider the slave trade and how black slaves were once treated like cattle and put on a stud in order to create generations of more slaves. Now, so am I disagreeing with the historical truth that she's talking about here? No, I'm not. That's the sad truth about just part of what slavery was. Enslaving human beings, it wasn't just black slavery in which this was the, 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 the way it was. This is the, the way it is with all people who are enslaved. They're forced to do things that they don't want to do because they're treated like property. But the question is, because I'm, I'm not even going to read the rest of what she has going on here because she's using this rhetoric to gin up emotions and to make people feel bad. Nobody in that room, nobody in that space has ever been a slave or, and no one in that room has ever enslaved anyone. And, and not that I'm so big and bad, but I definitely, if I, had I been in that room and had an opportunity to submit testimony, I would have asked, would anyone in this room who has actually owned a slave or been a slave, please stand up? And of course, no one would have because we are far past the abolition of slavery. And so then my question to her would be, why are you bringing that up? There are no enslaved black women in America. There are plenty enslaved in the Muslim world where Islam is practiced. The Middle East, they still are running a booming slave trade of whites and blacks. But here in America, slavery is no longer the law of the land. It hasn't been for generations. What is the reason why you keep bringing up this difficult, honestly true, but difficult and irrelevant history. Since no black women are currently held as slaves, because if they were, they wouldn't be able to have an abortion, now would they? Did slaves have the right to say, I don't want to have my master's child? No, of course not. So this whole line of reasoning is flawed and only being used to try to make people feel guilty. And everybody in that room who's white should have immediately just been like, excuse me, this is irrelevant. You're submitting information that is irrelevant and not germane to the topic at hand because none of us have ever owned any slaves or raped anybody and none of the black people in the room have ever been owned as slavery slavery was outlawed before you were born or i was born there's nobody in here who was alive during when slavery was actually the law of the land and that is the way we have to approach this when someone starts bringing up the issue of slavery you should, I don't care what tan you're sporting, if you are permanently untanned or periodically tanned, permanently tanned like myself, no matter what your ethnic background, you were not alive when slavery was the law of the land in this country. 
Now, if you're at a discussion or, a, a, you know, a, a book club or a book that you're reading has the topic of slavery in it, or maybe you're in an, a, you know, a teaching environment uh, where people are learning about slavery or someplace where slavery is germane to the conversation, then obviously that would be a discussion and, and there would be nothing inappropriate about that. But if someone is telling you, hey, white person, you should be feeling bad about slavery. Well, of course, we should all feel horrible that slavery existed. And I think we all do. But what does that have to do with the price of tea in China today? Nothing. We do not hold guilt for being owned as slaves historically or owning slaves historically because that was all rectified and the blood that was spilled during the Civil War has atoned for that entire horrible episode. It's over. It's in our rearview mirror. It shouldn't even really, it shouldn't be in the rearview mirror. It should be behind us. Something that we know historically happened, something that we study when we're coming up through the years in, in, in our education. And then we just accept it just like other horrible things that have happened. I mean, wouldn't Democrats hate it if every time they brought up a spending bill, someone brought up all the people who were killed in gulags by uh, the socialist nations, all of the times that socialism killed hundreds of millions of people, all of the people who've starved to death in socialist regimes because they just didn't have enough food or anything to eat because the economic system collapsed. I mean, all the people, hundreds of millions who were killed under communism. What if every time a Democrat brought anything up about spending or taxation or railed against capitalism, we just start talking about the dead bodies and, you know, the, the way they used to bury them in mass graves. People weren't even buried and treated like individuals. They were just literally thrown into pits and, you know, covered over. Or the way Jewish people, they would literally be taken onto cattle cars. Their homes would be confiscated and given to other people. All their wealth, their, their art, everything parsed out amongst Nazis. And they would be on the cattle cars. They didn't know where they were going. And sometimes the Nazis would let them off the cattle car and shoot them right next to a, a mass grave that had been dug, a huge hole in the ground. They'd shoot them so their bodies would fall in, so they wouldn't even have to lift them up and place them in the grave and then cover them over. How about every time a Democrat brings up anything having to do with anything that's idiotic like socialism or single-payer health care or any of that, we just start talking about all the times that socialism has killed. Now, I, I think that's hugely unproductive. I think that's not the way that you have discussions about policy or anything else. But I'm just so exhausted by this constant – it's like the minute you get your head up straight – you lift your head up and you start trying to do something as a black person in America. Here comes another Democrat, often a black Democrat, people who have legislatively have done nothing. The, the, the uh, black caucus, what have they done? What have they done exactly to improve the lives of black Americans in this country? Besides every time you turn around, bring up slavery and go mm -hmm, whenever AOC starts talking about how black folks are driving the buses and cooking the food and ironing the clothes and doing the laundry of everybody else. And it's true, some blacks do that, but some whites do it, and a lot of Hispanics do it too. What's so honorable about it when you're black as opposed to it just being a job that you're doing? And why didn't AOC mention the fact that there are literally tens of thousands of black doctors, lawyers, engineers, etc.? Because that doesn't fit in with their mantra of all of us being victims and being too sad and too, just too sorry to be able to do anything for ourselves. And I mean, I know it's Friday and the sun is shining and I'm all geeked out about the weekend. But this is something that has to be discussed. And every single person listening to this, I don't care how old you are, you cannot possibly be old enough to have owned a slave or been a slave in America. 
So why do you need to feel guilty about it? Why should you be thinking about your ancestors having been enslaved? And why should you be thinking about the possibility that your ancestors might have owned slaves, which actually is statistically so rare for white people because only 1.6% of white Americans owned slaves during slavery's heyday. When the majority of slavery was happening and, and the ownership of people was a profitable business that was booming in the South, only 1.6% of those white Americans owned slaves. And so if you think about immigration and how many white people have come to this country since slavery, the number of Americans who are alive today who are direct descendants of people who own slaves is not significant. Yes, those people are, there's some still alive, but how exactly are you going to pick them out? It's not like people are wearing armbands or they're tattooed, my great, great, great grandparents own slaves. We don't know that. And it's not their fault anyway. This is just an excuse for her to try to convince black women that no matter what, that living human being growing in their tummy isn't a person and it needs to be aborted. Everybody else has to abide by the rules, but black women need an exemption so they can keep aborting their babies because goodness knows black women don't want to have babies, which is utter nonsense, by the way. So the committee, thank God, rejected the amendment 11 to 7. Can you believe seven people actually voted that black women are too dumb to know when they're pregnant? And need an exemption so they can get an abortion when everybody else is outlawed. It would literally mean that the Planned Parenthoods in the state, Ohio, would be open to certain points just for black women. And a place to exclusively exterminate black babies. Ushered in by the Ohio legislature had they not seen the light and said no to this garbage. Black women had approximately 40% of all abortions in the U.S. in 2015. White women had 49% of the total number of abortions. 13.8% of the U.S. population is black, and about 7% of that 13.8% is black women. So 7% of the women in America had 40% of the abortions, and this nincompoop, this 'er ne'er-do-well, this (sighs) nabob, Janine R. Boyd, Wanted to make it possible in Ohio for black women to be the only one who could abort their babies into the, the second and third trimester. Unbelievable. All right, we'll be back with Hannah Cox right after this. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. 
Lyle Dorsett wrote a wonderful book about the life and ministry of Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist. It's called A Passion for Souls. One of the things that impressed me as I read this book was Moody's commitment to listening to God's direction and then fully following what God was telling him to do. It's no wonder that the impact of this man's work for Christ and his kingdom is being felt and expanded over a hundred years after his death. The worldwide impact, for example, of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and Moody Church right there in Chicago as well are prime examples. You see, God wants what we do to have a lasting impact. Let me say that again, and I, I want you to think about that statement. God wants what we do to have a lasting impact. He wants to direct our lives and our activities so that He is glorified and we make a difference, not just for time, but for eternity. Listen to these words in Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The delight of God is in the man's way simply because his steps have been established. God wants each of us to look to him for direction. We should ask, where does he want me to go? How can my life count? How can what I do matter for eternity? What God initiates, he establishes. Don't miss that point. God delights in us when we pursue his plan. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. It is not what we want that matters. It's God's plan that makes all the difference in the world. Study his word, pray, ask for wisdom. When you walk according to his will, your feet will make a permanent imprint, just like D.L. Moody. More information about the ministry of Crawford Lorenz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. You can find out more at AFR.net. You can also visit our news site, which I encourage you to do. It's onenewsnow.com. Don't miss out on all the fantastic reporting done over there by our uh, news staff, which it's a part of our ministry here at American Family Association. And it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Hannah Cox, National Manager of Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Hannah, thanks for joining in today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Absolutely. So um, your piece that you've written says the title is 2019 is a groundbreaking year for eliminating capital punishment. What made you write this piece? Well, we're seeing an amazing phenomenon continue in 2019 that's been escalating for the past couple of years. We've seen a growing number of Republican state lawmakers continuing to increase bills to repeal the death penalty. And 2019 is a groundbreaking year for that. We have 10 whole states with Republican-led efforts to repeal the death penalty. And so I think there's a, a lot of momentum happening right now. Now, what's driving that on the Republican side? Because I, uh, Republican, the electorate, of Republican Party politics, meaning the grassroots, the people who do the voting, have not really shifted their opinion on the death penalty, according to polling. So what's making legislators take this kind of action? You know, I think polling is always going to be a little bit misleading on this issue. We always say that support for the death penalty runs a mile wide and an inch deep. And the problem with some of the polls is that they're often self-selecting, and I think that they look at a very small part of the actual argument around the death penalty. What's really happening in this country is a real reckoning that we have a very broken system, and that's true for all of the criminal justice system. But I think as people are recognizing that, the death penalty is certainly no exception. It maintains the same problems that we see in the rest of the criminal justice system. 
those problems are simply exasperated because you're now dealing with matters of life and death. So in reality, if you look at the actual data going on, we see that last year was the fourth year in a row the country actually executed fewer than 30 people. All of those executions were only in eight states, and over half of them were in Texas. On top of that, new death sentences are down 60% since 2000. And I think what's happening, especially on the right, is people are starting to realize that the death penalty does not actually line up with conservative values. And and I'm one of those people. I used to be very pro-death penalty uh, and was for most of my life. And when I actually started getting around the criminal justice system and realizing things like just how much more expensive the death penalty was than any other sentence, uh, realizing why it was expensive. You know, I think many people think it's expensive because it takes too long, which is actually not true at all. Most of the costs are incurred at the trial level. Uh, when I thought about what those opportunity costs meant, you know, we're not actually spending those dollars on programs that could actually work and deter crime, and we're not spending those dollars to solve more crimes. When you look at the country, we have 51% average clearance rate on homicide. I think it's unacceptable to spend this much amount of money on pretty arbitrarily selected death penalty cases while we're not getting justice for the majority of victims at all. Uh, mm. And on top of that... Well, we let me let me stop problem. you there for, for a quick second. You said 51% clearance rate. I happen to know for research done here in the city of St. Louis and Baltimore that the low clearance rate is due in no small part to crimes done in inner city areas where the community does not cooperate with the police. So the connection to death penalty cases is kind of tenuous. Um, and, and like you said, you're talking about not trusting all of the polls, but the polls have been pretty consistent about why people support the death penalty. And for a lot of individuals, such as myself, it's rooted in a belief that the Bible is true and what it says is true about what God's word has for people who actually murder other people. The Ten Commandments don't say thou shalt not kill. The Ten Commandments accurately translated say you will not murder. So there is no uh, prohibition on the death penalty that is biblically based. In fact, Many parts of the Bible in the Old Testament and the New support the idea that someone who is prone to killing again should be subject to the ultimate punishment, but not through vengeance, through proper education, through the legal process. So I guess my question for you is, because you've morphed on this and you used to support the death penalty, but you don't anymore, why wouldn't you put your efforts into reforming the criminal justice system, specifically the part that deals with the death penalty, instead of simply saying that families that have had their children brutally beheaded by MS-13 members and others like that should simply be satisfied with that person being supported by the taxpayer dollar for the rest of their natural life while they have to go to bed every night without their loved one? Well, I think I'll answer that. There's a couple of answers packed into those questions there. So first and foremost, as a Christian and a Southern Baptist minister's daughter, I think that you can use the Bible to make a case for and against the death penalty. But in reality, one thing that I became very convicted about as a Christian was that I believe God can redeem anybody, can save anybody at any point if they turn from their ways and turn towards Him. And so I have a real problem at this point thinking that it's okay to cut short the time that God has to work in somebody's life. You know, even in the Bible, Paul, who was formerly Saul, was a mass murderer who God ended up using mightily. And so I think that's something that we need to keep in mind as far as the faith-based approach goes to this. Well, and I want to be clear that I don't disagree with you that any person can be redeemed and that forgiveness extends to every human being. But forgiveness for sin does not preclude the natural consequence of that sin. So someone can come to know the Lord as their as their savior and be redeemed and go on into eternity to live with the Father forever and still receive recompense for the crime that they committed. You are not automatically forgiven 
of everything that you've done and then also spared from the consequences. The forgiveness wipes away the sin, but the consequences sometimes remain. Do you disagree with that biblical concept? I don't disagree at all. And I think there are ways of continuing to hold people accountable and to ensure that they are paying for what they have done when they have taken a life that don't include the death penalty. I think we have many mechanisms at our disposal. And again, I think that when we are employing the death penalty, we are just cutting short the time that God has to work in their lives. And I think that we've seen many people be saved on death rows who are now carrying out Bible studies and saving other people and witnessing to even their own correction officials on death Mm -hmm. rows in this country. And so as a Christian, that's what I think restoration looks like. It doesn't mean you get to go scotch-free. It doesn't mean that you might even not spend the rest of your life in prison. Uh, I think that that can be appropriate. But at the end of the day, I think that there's a real issue if we are starting to meddle in these matters of life and death that I think are better left up to God. And secondly, I will say on top of that, you know, you mentioned victim family members, and I think this is one thing that really impacts me. There's this very false misperception that the majority of death penalty victim families uh, want this. And in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. There are many victim family members who do not agree with the death penalty system, who do not want it, who have gone through it, expecting to get closure from it and felt misled over that, uh, who felt re-traumatized by the system. And we see them showing up to state legislators, advocating time and time again and begging lawmakers, please do away with this. This isn't helping us. There are better things that could be done to help us as we try to rebuild our lives and move on from this horrible catastrophe. And so that was something that really stood out to me. Um, and to address your other question about why not try to reform it, I think the answer to that's pretty clear. We, we have tried. You know, it was banned in the early 70s over all of the issues that I'm discussing today about it. And as it was brought back in the late 70s, states implemented all of these different metrics and safeguards to try to ensure that it was not arbitrary, that there wasn't socioeconomic or racial bias in the system, that there weren't innocence issues in the system, that it was only for the worst of the worst. But we now have four decades worth of data that prove it's operating the exact same way. And so at the end of the day, as a conservative, I know government's fallible. I know it's corruptible, and I know it's marked by a misallocation of resources. I don't think the government is ever going to be capable of carrying out a fair and just system that doesn't entrap innocent people or run the risk of having some of these other operational issues. And, and I think that that is one reason I became firmly against it. Well, it's interesting that you say you, you've given kind of a history there from the 70s where uh, they, there was a reversal and then kind of bringing the death penalty back. And you kind of it, the inference there is that it was this is like 30 or 40 years ago. But in Nebraska, this is 2016. So three years ago, Nebraska, 61 percent voted to repeal a bill that eliminated the death penalty in Oklahoma. 66 percent approved an amendment to the state constitution, ensuring the use of capital punishment. And in California, which is totally liberal, they don't have any Republicans in charge there. 53 percent rejected a proposed statute abolishing executions. Now, Governor Newsom is is kind of using his power as governor to stop it, but he's not doing that in line with the will of the voters of the state of California, who themselves are very liberal individuals. So I, st- I think the issue is pretty fraught. And I appreciate I read your article. I appreciate the you're feeling pretty positively about um, the possibility of eliminating capital punishment. But I think we're still pretty far away. I think that we obviously still have a lot of work to go, and a lot of that comes down to educating people. As I said to begin with, support for the death penalty runs a mile wide and an inch deep. It's typically something where you see high support for it until someone takes a five- to ten-minute time period to just look at the basic operational facts around it, upon which we typically see support very quickly wane. And so I think what's happening is 
a lot of lawmakers are being confronted with that data and they're seeing some of these things up close. And so they're a bit more educated on these issues. And so there's a lot of advocacy. And that's one thing we're working to do within my organization is to really get this information in front of people and let them sit with it. You know, I did not all of a sudden wake up one day and change my stance on the death penalty. I did so very thoughtfully after being presented with a vast amount of research, including um, which included a report by chiefs of police who even say, that the death penalty is the least effective tool in their arsenal for combating crime and making communities safer. And they also say in that that the number one thing they really need is more resources. And so when we're spending millions and millions of dollars, far more on a death penalty case than we would for, say, life without parole, that's money that we're not giving them to actually benefit our communities. And so at the end of the day, the justice system should at the very least be ensuring that we are limiting crime, that we are protecting life, that we are ensuring that the methods we're using equal a safer community. When that's not happening, it's time to sit back and figure out what a new approach should look like. Well, it sounds like you're kind of you're kind of on both sides of that because you said that you don't trust the government to adjudicate, um, you know, life or death cases. But then you're saying we need to send the same funds that were misused for the death penalty application to law enforcement, which is just another arm of the government. Um, I I definitely am always open to hearing more, but I actually have spent a significant amount of time reviewing information that is from from the side that you're presenting, the anti-death penalty side, and I'm not moved in the least. I go back to, as a Christian, my dad's in law enforcement. He's not a minister, so, you know, we'll have to kind of weigh that in the balance as far as the validity of my opinion, but still, as a voter and as a person who I have a conscience and I definitely spend time in the scriptures— I don't see anywhere in the where it says that because something that God has decreed has become unpopular, we should abandon it because it makes us feel better or because a human system is flawed and incapable of operating correctly right now that we shouldn't try to reform that system and bring it into compliance in order to do what God's word mandates for us, which is we are to use the civil authority to protect the innocent and punish the wrongdoers. And the ultimate punishment for wrongdoing, which is taking of life, is the death penalty. If the death penalty is something that is not being done correctly, or if the governmental system surrounding it needs reform, the Bible does not mandate us to change what his word says or to go with our feelings. We are instead to do the reform efforts to the system to bring it in line with what we as managers of the government and those who are over the church place there by, by God. He's over us. We're over the man-made systems. We're to reform the system, not to change our minds or our hearts to to make ourselves feel better. So I would certainly agree that, you know, we're not to change scripture to fit our feelings. That's absolutely true. But I think it's absolutely also incorrect to say theologically that there's a mandate on capital punishment. I don't know what verse you could possibly point to that would insinuate that. I do think there well, are let me, examples let me share. of that being I'd, used I'd love in to the support that. But sure, it, if um, you look at the way their system operated, it's vastly different than ours. And we actually have this available on our website for those who are interested. But even the way the system operated in the Old Testament was very, very different than how our system operated. You had to have two witnesses who were actually there at the time of the crime. You had to have those people then come and be present in carrying out the actual execution. You know, there are very many differences between how it was being used and how frequently it was used in, in the Jewish community versus how our system is used. And so... I, I want to push back on that a little bit, and I also, again, uh, we just had an event at the New Orleans Baptist Seminary last week in New Orleans and had some people who were much more theologically astute than I am from the seminary who were on one of our panels and, and made this case beautifully, which that audio is also going to be available on our website. But 
Uh, and I, I understand there. that you're coming from that perspective, Hannah, but you said you weren't sure where it was mandated in the Bible that capital punishment is something that, that it's in the Bible. It's actually Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. And then Genesis 9, 5 through 6 implies three theological principles that God is the author of life. And when God retains the prerogative to define the circumstances under which a life can be taken, God demands that humanity create just societies to protect the innocent and murder being a heinous violation of the divine image and humanity mandates execution as an appropriate punishment. Then you move on into Exodus 20 through 23, which expands upon those principles. Scholars call this the lex talonis, which advocates for punishment, which is proportional, proportional to the offense. And then in the New Testament, chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the Romans, he discourages his readers from avenging themselves by quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. But he later encourages them to rely on due process through the legitimate authorities who do not bear the sword in vain. The servants of God to execute his wrath on the wrongdoer, which is Romans 13, 4. And then it goes on in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, where Paul wrote that before any of the Gospels or Acts of the Apostles were even composed, you have to look at what the Bible says about uh, capital punishment. So I totally understand that you're advocating from your position, which is that you want to see that abolished. But I do kind of take issue with um, the idea that it's not mandated in scripture. If you want to well, argue again, in support of abolishing it, I'm, well I'm, I'm fine with that. Well, but you, that, that's that a contradiction to what you said earlier. That's a contradiction to what you said earlier. While I think you can make a case for being permissible no, in the you Bible, can't actually push back on contradicting yourself. Thank you, Hannah. You can't, you can't push back on contradicting yourself. I'm absolutely I'm willing to listen to what you have to say, but I don't think you should day, go as far as to say it's not in the Bible, which is what you said a few minutes ago. In the, well, I just read the one from the Old, ten, the Old Testament. The Testament has to be applied to everyone because that's very broad. There's nothing in no, the verses that it say we must have It wouldn't have to be applied to, it said in proportion. I, I just read those scriptures to you. It said in proportion so to the, the crime. What is the division? What, what is the division there? What makes one murder worse than another? Well, first off, it actually describes, I just read that to you. Let me go back. Um, actually, there's the music. I don't have time to go back. Give people the website so they can review your materials, because I, I think after our discussion, people will want to delve into this a little further. Conservativeconcern.org, and we're on social media at our acronym, which is CCACDP. Perfect. Thank you for joining the show today. We appreciate your time. Thank you. We'll be back with more right after this. is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Taking on too much was not a new challenge for me and Lauren. We had to be aware when we had been running ourselves down. We had noticed that some of our disagreements, especially the major ones, occurred when we were tired. Sometimes agreeing to disagree worked for us to help us both think about the problem we put the disagreement aside for the moment until we could talk about it later, when both of us were less tired or emotional. Ephesians 4.26 says, 
Don't sin by letting anger control you. The next time you have a disagreement with your spouse, make sure you're communicating with respect and love. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Bishop Vincent Matthews. Every one of my children have gone to college uh, that are in college on an wow. academic scholarship. And we taught them in our home. So reevaluate wherever you bought your hair or got it done <laughs> one day is going to be out of style. But your heritage is not just for what am I going to do today. It's for your children's 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 children. The Marriage, Family and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Listen, do you really know who Jesus is? And let me help you to know who he is. You think about all of these kind of false Jesuses that are floating around social media. Oh, you know the Jesus. You know, you got the ethnocentric Jesus. You got the political Jesus, left-wing Jesus. You know, all these popular Jesuses. But but the, the question I think all of us need to ask is will the real Jesus stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Tuned in to Equipped. Weekday afternoons at 12 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Fox on Justice. Two lawsuits moving through the courts have to do with how companies market stuff that we eat and drink. The restaurant chain TGI Fridays sells bags of snack food it calls potato skins. But a woman in New York City is suing, saying, those aren't potato skins. She says, just look at the ingredient list. Potato flakes? Yes. Potato starch? Yes. But no potato skins. The second lawsuit is against Nestle's, which owns Poland Spring Water, marketed as 100% natural spring water from Maine. Consumers in eight northeastern states have sued, saying the Poland Spring in Maine dried up decades ago, and the water in those Poland Spring bottles is ordinary groundwater. A judge in Connecticut has ruled the case can go forward on the claim that Nestle's may not be following state standards on the definition of spring water. Nestle says Poland Spring is exactly what it claims to be, 100% natural spring water. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it is my pleasure to go straight to the phones. I love it when we have lots of callers on, especially on a Friday. Um, so it, this is no different. Let's go to Randy in Louisiana. Hey, Randy. Thank you for calling. Hey, how you doing? Well, my, nice, my wife's not around, so I'm going to say, looky here. So, <laughs> you remember me? Okay. I do, I do. Well, <laughs> well look here. Uh, you know, you're talking about the slavery and everything. Everybody wants these reparations. Mm-hmm. But who put the slaves into slavery when they were in Africa? Um, uh, Randy, here you go with all that common sense and history. Go ahead. Go ahead and hit us with it. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it was the, their own people, the Africans. One tribe, I mean, this is the best way I figure it. Mm-hmm. One tribe was stronger than another tribe, so they made a deal with the white man or whoever, and they took him into slavery. That's right. So they all sold them. Sold them into slavery for horses and gold and all kinds of stuff. That that the they came over with it, and they were selling their their enemies. So it was whichever tribe was dominant 
would sell off and into slavery their enemies to keep them from being strong enough to kind of rise up and go back against them. It's the classic age old scenario, which means that if they're going to get reparations from the U.S. government, they should also be seeking reparations from the governments of African nations. Uh, You know, I mean, if you're going to go back there, you might as well go all the way back to its inception. How did the slavery begin? Um, But but it's not just that, Randy. It's this idea that we're not all still living in America today with our cell phones and our computers and our TVs and our talking dishwashers. And, you know, we are Americans. We live on the most blessed planet or blessed, blessed nation on the planet. Um, Why would we want to go back to dividing ourselves over reparations? Why would we do it? I just don't I don't see any upside to it. And um, I but I, I want to say. Uh, looky here, you have a good weekend. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Thanks for calling. Um, Aaron in Alabama. Hey, Aaron, thanks for calling the show. Stacy, uh, Dynamite, you, I was telling you, uh, you're screening there. I put you, Janet Mefford, and Sandy Reels against any man, woman, in radio or TV <laughs> or media and, and, and speaking the word. I'm serious. I'm a vet like you. I've retired vet, been out 20 years. Dad retired Marine. Son's retired Air Force. Mm. Got a son in the Air Force and is, a, and is a cop right now in the Air Force. Air Force Reserve. My baby boy's been in. All three of them been in the Middle East and been back. That retired Marine been Vietnam three times. I had to toot his horn. He's still mm. living, still teaching Taekwondo in South Carolina. But, Stacy, I, I, I wasn't going to get into it, and I'm not because I know you got a lot of callers waiting, but the, the first one about the abortion, oh. there's something wrong Stacey, there's, there's, and I'm an African-American. I'm black, okay? Okay. All right. Permanently tanned. <laughs> there's something wrong with a person, okay, black or white, but especially that, that you have no problem with ripping the baby's arms off and sucking the baby's brains out while they're still moving in the wall. That, that's what God calls, you know, this takes a reprobate mind. Mm-hmm. If a person can actually do that and clap for it and root for that, there is something mentally wrong with them. And isn't it funny, Stacey, how the people who are pro-abortion have already been born? Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Like that? It's, it's fascinating. It's same, fascinating. Just imagine if you said you were going to rip them apart. What, what if you said, yeah, oh, we're going to rip you apart limb from limb? They'd say, well, that's a crime. And, oh. <laughs> and not just that, Stacey, your last guess. What are going to get into that either? But your last guess, you know, it, it, just like the abortion thing, isn't it funny how you want to be pro-anti-death penalty until one year, two year old, your three or your or your person or your relatives has had their head blown off or raped or or, or stabbed nine thousand times. You know, I really wish abortion was retroactive, so mm. somebody can go back and take some of them out. Now, God forgive me for saying that, but that's how I feel about it. But yeah, it's penalty, it's it gets all, you it gets your blood up. You feel like there there's yeah, just so much what idiocy about this, what going about on. The man molesting molesting a little baby. I guess it's he should just... and definitely if they would do it right. And not put them on death row for 20, 30, 40 years. There you go. You just like me. If there's any reasonable doubt, you don't kill that person. But that's what? right. You, you don't that kill people where you have like a reasonable a doubt. Stacey. I, I, all I have to say about it is like a shotgun. every single time I, I hear someone talking about being against the death penalty, it just tells me that they're, they're not willing to spend the same amount of effort that they're spending on switching this law up on reforming the system. And you know why? I'll tell you why, Aaron, because reforming the system is difficult and it takes a long time and it takes work. But there are people in this country who have gone into systems, government systems, and seen them incorrect and fixed them. One man, 
was the one who fixed our uh, occupational safety hazard, the, the whole OSHA thing. One man created that and saved thousands of lives and saved tens of thousands of people's arms and fingers and limbs because people were getting hurt in factories. And he came to work for the government and realized that the reason why people were still getting hurt was because there was no standard and they weren't tracking the people getting hurt. And he he was able to turn it around by himself in I think it was like eight years. I heard this story in a book I was listening to on audio CD. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, if and I, I have nothing against Hannah Cox. She seems like a, a God fearing Christian woman who's a, she's an amazing communicator. But if she would take her energy and her prodigious mind power and put it towards reforming the system, imagine what we could do. I don't think everybody who's who's murdered someone should be subject to the death penalty. But it, just eliminating the death penalty doesn't make any sense to me. Aaron, have a fantastic uh, weekend, and thank you for calling the show. Let's go to Randy in Texas. Hey, Randy, thanks for calling in today. Stacy. Yes. Oh, no. We, we lost you. Please, please call back if you can. I'm sorry that we lost you. Um, June in Arkansas. Oh, and if you want to call in, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037, June in Arkansas. Thank you for calling in. Happy Friday to you. Oh, thank you. I enjoy your show immensely. Uh, your last um, a person that you had, um, Hannah. Oh, Hannah Cox, yes. She is yes. so wrong. Um, I work as a nurse in a state prison, mm. and... I can assure you that um, they are well treated, and they try. A lot of them try very hard to uh, find ways that they can turn around and sue the system. It's ridiculous. I mean, the death penalty is not given easily. It's usually for very horrific crimes. And you're right, um, turning your heart to God will save you for eternity, but it does not negate the consequences of your actions. It doesn't. And, and that's the part that is the most frightening about sin, that I think uh, sometimes as Christians, we, we kind of turn away from that or we just kind of paper over it. But I mean, there's been many times when I've been studying in Bible study where our Bible study leader has pointed out that God is merciful and he really doesn't give us what we deserve. We, we deserve so much worse than what he gives to us. And sometimes the consequence of, of our sin, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's, it's lessened. He's merciful to us. He doesn't always give us everything. But other times we can repent and we can come back to him and we can, you know, we can be forgiven, but we still have to kind of suffer through the consequences. And so I am by no means some bloodthirsty maniac who just thinks, you know, if someone commits a crime, they should be killed. But that sometimes if you just read the news and if you click the links, because sometimes I just don't, I, I have to not click the links. I'll like save that story for next week because I'm going to the week and I need to go in. Okay. You click the links and you read what people are doing to each other. And you know that the Bible is true when it says we are depraved and our heart condition is depraved. And so the death penalty is meant to be a deterrent. As it currently is adjudicated, it is not. So the system should be reformed. And that is what I would like to see happen. Um, let's go to Vilma in Mississippi. Hey, thank you for calling the show today. Hi. 
Okay, Hello. I wanted to say that you are a great speaker, so knowledgeable. I mean, you're a walking encyclopedia of facts. You are great. And since you are a woman and black, you ought to run for president. Because oh, I no. believe you would win hands down. And I so much appreciate the way that you speak, the scripture that you always have to back up what you speak of. And so God bless you. And I know just listening to you that your husband uh, would still be the man he is, even if his wife was the president, <laughs> because you put him right in the place of the head of his household, as all foolish young women nowadays don't seem to. So God bless you. Keep up the wonderful work. We do appreciate it. Thank you, honey. Thank, thank you, Velma. Have a nice weekend. I, that is really high praise, and I appreciate that. Um, I That's so nice for, for her to say that. Um, I want to go to a couple more callers. We still have good time. It's Friday. It's really nice to be able to chat with all of you guys. Steven in Michigan. Hey, um, thanks for calling the show. First time caller. Oh, awesome. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the no. Uh, what do they call it, the Noadic Covenant? And, it, yes, it's never been uh, canceled out. And people are creating an image of God. I'm pro-justice. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul said nobody's got a right to put me to death, but I've done nothing to be put to death for. But if I had, I don't, you know, refuse to be put to death. Um, I like how liberals, you know, they'll change wording like uh, life in prison without parole that's what we have in michigan mm -hmm. uh, that all that is is death by imprisonment and yes you're making the victims pay for it and it's not carried out quickly so nobody fears it a lot of those people they'll never come to salvation because they think someday somebody's gonna let them out and and they still can kill they can kill. i got i got a niece that works in the prison you know people that work in the prison get murdered sometimes mm -hmm. and, you know mm -hmm. other other prisoners in prison that have done uh, lesser crimes, but are around them can get get murdered. And sometimes they get out of prison when they murder somebody and go to court. So it's like a little vacation. You get out, go to court, and then go back to yourself. It's. I mean, it's the whole thing needs. We need reform there. Um, and I. I just. I go back to that is where we should put our efforts. And and it takes a long time, right, Stephen? That is the reason why we don't see the Democrats working harder to restore the black family to prominence because that takes decades of work. And it means you're going to have some failures and you're going to have to deal with people and people are difficult and changing and making new habits is hard. But that is where we're supposed to be pouring our efforts, not at making the government stronger or taking away mechanisms by which justice can be meted out. Um, so I, you know, just, I, I agree with you. Uh, thank you for calling the show today and happy Friday. Uh, Maria, Marie, Marie in South Carolina. Hey, Marie, thanks for calling the show. Hi, Stacy. First time caller. Oh, awesome. Love, thanks love, for love calling. Um, I just want to touch base real quick. Um, I think the black community, especially black women, need to understand that Margaret Sanger, who's with Planned Parenthood, um, used that as a tool to uh, 
eliminate or reduce the so-called undesirable population, meaning black people. Uh So I think we need to encourage black women to have their babies and let's adopt them out. Let's, Let's work on that. But they're not doing them any favors by advocating for them to have abortions over everything else. Mm, it's true. Um, and it's the second true. thing about um, um, the death penalty, unfortunately, if we could start doing Bible studies in schools like we used to do, by the time we were waiting on these adults who murder people to accept Christ, um, the deed's already been done. And most of them are repeat offenders. So they yes, are. the system needs to be changed, but it yes. needs to start when their kids were little, and understand that there are consequences for things that we do. I have friends Mm -hmm. who are teachers, and they say horrible stories about how children are acting, and many of our teachers are leaving um, something that they love to do because you cannot control children. But you You know know what? You know what makes them controllable? You know what makes children, what civilizes children? People are always so shocked when I say this. I can see their faces. Their eyes get a little big. Reading scripture When children read the word of God, they are civilized. That is what the Bible does for us. It stomps down our sin nature and changes us so that we are more like Christ. And when we read the Bible, we learn that we need to pray. And when we pray, God rewrites our genetic code. He overwrites it with his genetic code so that we are made more like him. Every prayer, every Bible verse that we read, every memorization, every time we say to someone, like I say to you, God is so good and I love him so much and I'm so grateful for what he's doing in my life. He is right there changing us in that moment. And when we say we can't read the Bible to kids in school, we're, we're basically saying we'd rather read it to you after you've killed somebody or committed a crime and you're in prison and you can't go anywhere else, then we'll give you the Bible. It's, it's a, an absolute, it's a wrong that we've got to right. But I, I've been saying this just for the last week or so, and I'm going to keep saying it. Those who desire the lives and the souls of those people that we're talking about right now, those kids, those young adults, Even those who are in the prisons, who they've committed crimes, but they can still come to Jesus Christ. The ones who want them the most are the ones who are going to win them. Right now, it looks like the liberals, the Planned Parenthood pukes, those people are winning, but they're not. We've read the end of the book. It's up to us. We've got to tell them about the gospel and win them for the kingdom, because in the end, that's what we're here to do. If you're leaving now... God bless you. Have a fantastic weekend. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com, news and information coming at you right now.